This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 76 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Company, and American Harvest. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. On today's show, Brielle Roman from Trot Trot Standard Breads joins us to talk about the tools, resources, and a really great community for retraining the off-the-track standard bread. We introduce our very first rider from our Making the Makeover series, Rachel Ramsey, and her 2022 thoroughbred makeover horse, Stonecatcher. And we wrap it all up with Leandra Cooper from New Vocations with another training tip in our Adoptable Horse of the Week. At Muddy Bells is our listener of the week. She makes some really cool like stone mug things. I was looking on her Instagram. You should check it out. Anyway, if you would like to be our listener of the week, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Now back to the show. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr, Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kobach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Well, Kristen, I'm so excited to say you didn't quit after one episode with me. You didn't Retired fire Racehorse me. Radio. I Here know, I am. Winning. We're winning at life. It's so great. But in all seriousness, I'm super thrilled to have you on. You did great for your first episode. I'm really excited for your second and super thrilled to introduce the Making the Makeover series, which we'll dig into later. You'll all hear about it. I can't spoil it now. You got to listen for the show to hear it all. But before we get into all the fun things we have with our guests, what's new in your corner of the world? What's How's New York looking? Do you have the snow melting? What's going on? It is melting. It's creeping back. So I can see a little bit from where I'm sitting, but down on the farm, which is like about 15 minutes south of where I live, it is really pretty nice. So I was riding out on an open field today and only sank in a little bit with the mud. So it's coming along. That's a big win, honestly. I, I mean, think we I have some snow this weekend, but yeah, same. I mean, Midwest living on the East Coast. I always like to joke yeah. that it's going to snow up until May. It's just been a curse. Like you think you make it through, and then somewhere in the last two weeks of May, Michigan's always like, "How would you like some snow?" Oof. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. At least in New York, it's usually like April. Usually by May, we're okay. Yeah. But but it's. I'm personally enjoying the weather, and I don't know if you heard, but the Senate passed daylight savings is forever now. I saw that. I did see I'm that. Like, that was do the I buy a chat today and the RRP. Uh, yes, I'm like, chat, do I buy a so, lottery yeah. ticket? Is all the good fortune in the air? Is today the day that I try to ride my horse bareback on the trail after not really riding for a whole Ooh, season? Girl, no. That's I never mean, the answer. Nope. Don't no, don't. No, I mean obviously not. I did not do that, <laughs> but it, the thought was there because that is like. That is music to any equestrian's ears that it is daylight savings forever. Like we're not going to get up sometime when we get to winter and it's dark by 4 p.m. anymore. It's it just I'm so thrilled. I'm going to have to like recalibrate my whole year because I am like a very much a seasonal person with Mm -hmm. the horses. So I'm like, ah, yes. And winter is when I take a long lunch break and go do my chores and ride. And now I'm going to have to like figure that out because otherwise I will try to go hard like 365 days a year (laughs) and I'm going to give myself a nervous breakdown. So I'm going to have to figure that out. I would encourage you to go like full Rocky on this, but (laughs) 
Yeah, it's definitely a thrilling time. I'm really excited to see like, not that I'm ever wishing to come back to winter as we're coming out of it, but yeah, November, December, it's going to be really interesting to follow equestrian social media. Like, I don't know how we're going to handle this without just fully freaking out or questioning, is it real? What are we going to talk about? Like, that's the thing everyone complains about. So, like, we're going to have to find something else to complain about in November. If we're going to have to be positive over winter. (laughs) No. But we have a great lineup today. We can talk about all the positive things about horses, but we'll be here for days. They probably like that, though. Right, Kristen? We're cool. We're cool. (laughs) Yeah, we're like those cool podcasting friends that, you know, you want to hang out with, right? But we're definitely not as cool as our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. So we're going to hear a little bit from them and then jump into our first guest. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues. It also supports improved starch and sugar digestion in the small intestine, reducing the opportunity for imbalances to occur in the hindgut. Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products, contains Saccharomyces boulardii, along with a blend of fermentation solubles and stomach buffers. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of any age that are suffering from diarrhea. It also supports a healthy digestive tract in horses at risk for gastric or colonic ulcers, such as performance horses or any horse that is constantly on the go and exposed to stressful situations. For best results, Nalox Advanced should be fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. So our first guest tonight is Brielle Roman. Um, So one thing that's close to my heart, increasingly so, is the standard breads. Uh, I know Retired Racehorse Radio, largely we're talking about thoroughbreds here, but um, the standard breads, of course, are an important part um, of racing as well, and they also need aftercare. And I adopted my first standard bread uh, just about a year ago. Um, And in that time, I've gotten to know Brielle a little bit. Uh, Brielle's been riding horses for over 15 years, and during that time, she discovered a true passion for standard breads. She's worked with standard breads on and off the track and is currently devoted to helping the breed by retraining horses in her own adoption program and by educating and promoting the breed through training clinics and social media. Um, I think I can safely say that Brielle is like single-handedly kind of running like the standard bread community on Facebook. So we're really excited to have her on tonight. So welcome, Brielle. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the Standard Red Retraining Group on Facebook, because I don't think there's a Facebook community quite like it. I was really impressed when I was invited to join by a mutual friend who I adopted my horse from. So I started the Standard Red Retraining Group probably like two or three years ago, because I was at the time trying to start a Standard Red makeover similar to the 
that's been a goal of mine for a long time because I feel like it boosts the standard bread more into the public perception. So the group started about two, three years ago, and it had like 200 members, which were basically people on my friends list I invited, and it kind of sat dormant for about a year or so because I didn't get much help with trying to get this makeover thing going. And the one day, I was just getting notifications from it, and I saw that some of the members that were in it had just started posting about their standard breads in general. And I was like, you know what? This could be something. So I kind of restructured the group to be not so much about trying to get the makeover going, but it's just a community for people to talk about their standard breads together, share advice, ask questions, and all sorts of things like that. Because I hadn't really seen anything like that on Facebook. And a lot of times you post in normal horse groups, and the people either, A, don't understand standard breads, or B, they're kind of prejudiced against them. So that's when I started, and it really took off with people adding their own friends, and it really helped educate people. And it also brought more attention to standard breads because people were showing videos of them and what their standard breads can do, and people were just blown away. I know I posted videos of, like, my standard breads at horse shows and showing against standard and warm bloods and all that, and those kind of went, like, mini viral and it brought a lot more attention to the group and to standard breads overall and then a big thing that helped it was i started doing virtual shows through it during the pandemic because most horse shows were closed but it also was really good for people who had never horse shown before with their own standard breads because they can't trailer to a show there's really nothing standard bread friendly in the area or they have confidence issues and so that was another big boost to the group and also the breed overall because a lot of people participated in it and they also gained a lot of confidence and learned a lot to the point that they actually went to horse shows in real life with their standard bread. And a lot of them I actually saw at the National Standard Bread Show that year for the first time. So the group really so taken cool. off. It's done a lot. It's also helped people, you know, track down horses that were lost or fundraise to help bail horses. So it's just a really great all-around group for the breed. That is absolutely amazing, Brielle, like that you're single-handedly kind of leading this really necessary charge. I mean, I think we can all agree that thoroughbreds kind of take the spotlight in the retired racehorse community. And you're saying like... <laughs> here's this community I'm trying to open up for everyone else. I have, I want to backtrack a little bit and what drew you into the standard bride? Like what was the horse or which horse stood out for you and said like, this is an amazing breed and they're doing amazing things. And I want to showcase them more. Basically, I would say the horse that started it all is my horse, Hazel. She's six now. I bought her when she was only a few months old. She came from Blue Chip Farm. And so I was actually of the opinion that standard breads were not good riding horses because I'd only seen them briefly. When I was very young, I grew up near Freehold Raceway. So I, would, I went there a few times with my dad, and I was always a big fan of horse racing, although I much preferred the thoroughbreds. But so that was my only experience with standard breads. So I had a horse at the time, a quarter horse, and she was getting ready to retire. So I was on my quest for my next horse. But being a broke teenager, I had a very, very limited budget. And I'd always broken my horses myself because 
usually get them cheaper that way. And it was something I really enjoyed doing. So I had a farrier who would shoe horses up at Blue Chip. He trimmed all the yearlings and stuff. And he was doing my mare the one day. And I had mentioned that I was, you know, casually looking for a new young horse. And he said he was getting a filly from Blue Chip. And he was bringing her to the farm at some point. And he said she was a standard bread. And I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want that. Well, the one day I go out to the barn, and there's this little yak-looking thing in the middle next to my horse. And that was Hazel. And there was just something about her I really liked. She had this really goofy personality. And I had actually been trying to breed my mare, but she had a previous pelvic fracture. And the vet was concerned with foaling that would not end well for anyone. So I kind of pulled the plug on that. So I was upset over that. And Hazel was so young that my mare actually, like, adopted her, basically. Aww. So they were, like, a little pair. So I was like, I need this thing. But what really impressed me with her was that she was basically feral. She had a holder on, but that was about it. She didn't lead very well, you know. She basically was locked in a stall all the time because they were afraid of her because she was feral. <laughs> but I remember the one day... I was there, and the guy who was cleaning the stalls hadn't shut her door all the way, so she kind of poked her little nose through and tried to squeeze out and get out, and her halter got caught on the latch. Now, this is a feral little yak, and most horses, you know, if they get stuck like that, they would probably panic and pull the stall door off. Well, she felt it tug on her, and she just stopped. She stood there, and she gave me the pressure. I was like, that's a smart horse. <laughs> so... I bought her. I paid $400, which was the price she was going to go for at the auction because nobody wanted her. And then I just started working with her, and she was the most intelligent horse I've ever worked with. She picked things up so quickly. She had such a good attitude about everything, and she was just really hardy. Like, nothing bothered her. So I was really impressed with her, and that actually is what inspired me to apply to work at the Standard Bridge Retirement Foundation, which is where I worked for uh, a year or so. And just seeing what those horses went through, because they get a lot of the horses from the tail pens after they've been used up and all that stuff, to see those horses come back from all that and still want to work and try for you, it blew my mind. I was like, these horses are incredible. And then that's what led me to go work on the track with them because I wanted to learn what their former careers were like so I could better understand them, so I could better retrain them to be what they need to be now. That's cool. It's cool that you still have her, you know, and she's an ambassador for her breed along with you. So from my gathering, you know, as I've sort of gotten into the standard bread world in the past year is that there's multiple issues facing standard bread aftercare. And of course, there's many issues facing thoroughbred aftercare as well. But I think the standard breads are a little bit unique in that not only do you have the issues where it seems like a lot more of them end up in kill pen scenarios and bad situations, but then you also are fighting this marketing stereotype of like, they can't canter, they can't jump, they can't do anything other than trot and pull a buggy. So that's my perception. But what do you see as big issues facing standard bread aftercare right now? Yeah, well, you are correct there. So if you go back a few years or so before, you know, the thoroughbred incentive program and the RRP began, there was a lot of 
larger number of thoroughbreds ending up in the kill pen, but it still was nowhere near the issue with the standardbreds because at least the thoroughbreds are ridden, the canner is something they do all the time. And if you go back, like a few decades ago, they were the it horse in the show ring, so they at least right. had that path to go on. So with the standardbreds, you're absolutely right. There's the huge stigma against them that they're driving horses, and you know they can't canter, they can't jump. And if they do, there's no way they can compete, you know, at a normal horse show with other horses. You know, maybe they can do the standard red stuff, but there's no way you can just go out to any show and compete, which is absolutely wrong. It's just they need the proper time and training. And just like any other horse of any other breed, there's going to be certain individuals that are more talented at a certain thing than other horses. Right. But they haven't been given the chance because, you know, I think it's more so because they don't have that history of being ridden and being show horses at one point that people just don't want to do it. And then I think another thing that really hinders them is the industry um, hasn't, you know, always been so much about its aftercare. Like the thoroughbred racing industry, the jockey club, all of them, they've really come around in the past few years to putting a lot more uh, time, attention, and money towards the aftercare of these horses to ensure they have good second careers where there's actually a booming second uh, market for the horses. Once they come off the track, you can very easily get rid of your low level claimer and get some money for it. There's people, you know, snatching them up. Whereas with uh, the standard bread, there's currently really no market for these horses except for the Amish. Cause there's a lot of trainers. The standard bread racing is a lot cheaper than thoroughbred racing. Our, Best races are biggest races. You're lucky if it's a million dollar purse. Whereas there's races for the uh, thoroughbreds now that are several million dollar purses. And even your lower level claimers are racing for, you know, 10, 20, 30,000. So the standard racing is a lot more accessible to get into. But when you're racing a bottom level horse, there's times you're racing for maybe three grand a week. And if you win, you get half of that. If you get you know, a check, maybe you get like a hundred bucks. So it's hard to make ends meet. So there are people that truly want to do right by the horse. You know, they have a horse that's not cutting it. It's got an injury, whatever. They would love for this horse to go to a good home, but there's not always people who even take the horse for free. And these people also have to feed themselves. And the only people who want the horse are the Amish or like, I'll even give you four or five grand for it. At some point, what are you going to do? Yeah. So it's it's kind of a vicious cycle, and the industry doesn't really do a lot to promote these horses in second careers. Like, oh, here's examples of horses doing stuff. Like, there's a horse, I believe his show name is High Standard, and he's shown at Capital Challenge and International Horse Show, like the big horse shows. And I believe it's the, the little junior jumpers, which is still like three foot three. Yeah, wow. Against you know, warm blood. Warm bloods, right. Even getting ribbons, sometimes even winning. You know, USTA is not talking about that. They're not sharing it. I think the Chronicle of the Horse did an article on it, but it was never mentioned to my knowledge on the USDA's website. That should absolutely be something that should be mentioned. And if you just go and you look at, you know, their after racing section, that probably hasn't been updated since 2017. Right. So yeah. they're a few years behind the jockey club and, you know, kind of supporting this aftercare initiative. But they have made strides recently. And I believe 
the uh, effect of social media has kind of encouraged them to increase their pace at this. They started the Standard Bread Transition Alliance. I worked with them last year on developing the Standard Bread Incentive Program, which is modeled off the Thoroughbred Incentive Program, to, you know, hopefully get more horses in the show ring and promoting the breed and encourage people to go out and get a Standard Bread and train it and do stuff with it because there's rewards in it for you. So that should be coming out later this summer, I believe. So there are positive steps being taken, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done. But basically the bottom line is there's still a huge stigma against these horses because you have the people who say, okay, yeah, they can be ridden, but they're good for trail horses. They can't really, you know, do what we want to do when they absolutely can. But it just takes the correct training. And there's another problem we have is there's not the correct education for these trainers to re-educate these horses because they approach them as you would an off-track thoroughbred or, you know, say a, a quarter horse or a warm blood that you're breaking to ride for the first time. These horses are driving horses. So their confirmation is different because they're supposed to move in a different way. And, you know, they're used to moving a different way because they're pulling. Their whole motion is they're bracing against the cart and the driver's hands, so they move in a totally different way, you know. They have really big front-end action, but, you know, small hind-end action. They have to learn to come back onto the hindquarters, round over, come up through their bellies the way we want a riding horse to work. And the people don't always take the time to do this or understand this, and then they rush the horse after a few rides in the cantering, and then when the horse falls apart and it can't canter, they're like, well, they can't do it. It's like, no, they can, but it takes a lot of time to put the foundation. And some horses get it in two weeks. Other horses, it might take you a half a year or even a year or more. But if you do the time, if they're sound and there's no other issues, 99% of them are going to be able to canter. Yeah, it's been quite the education for me in transitioning the little horse I have, Western Flash, because I've loped him off now twice. <laughs> And it is a little bit like a spider on roller skates is how I described it, but he's getting stronger and it's because of all that slow work. But it, even that has been a little bit different than, you know, conditioning the thoroughbreds who are again, accustomed to having a person on their back already. So I'm applying what I can, but I'm definitely learning a lot as I go. So, so it's with Wes that I'm working with you a little bit now, Brielle, to document his progress to go to the national show for the first time. So can you give that program a, a plug about your video series that you've done? I started last year because so every year at the Horse Park in New Jersey, we have a nonprofit organization in New Jersey. It's the Standard Pleasure Horse Organization of New Jersey. They're a wonderful organization. They've been around for over 25 years, and their whole mission is to promote the Standard Bread as a pleasure and competition horse in a second career. And they have a lovely awards program where you track your points for showing around the year, and you get lovely year-end awards at the banquet they have, which is always amazing, and their big thing is the National Standard Bridge Show. It's a three-day show held at the Horse Park in New Jersey in Allentown, and people come from all over. They come from Ohio, Indiana, Maine, so there's always a good turnout, and in the past few years, I feel like social media presence has really been attracting new people. I've shown at that show for a few years now, and for the first few years I was doing it, it felt like it was mostly the same horse rider pairs showing at the show. And we want new blood. We want new people exposed to standardbreds. So I remember when I was growing up, there was a show on Animal Planet. It was called Roads of the McClay. So the McClay uh, 
Asian finals is a very, very, very big deal in the English horse show world. So what they did was they followed a couple different rider horse pairs from barns that were, you know, going to compete at this. So it followed the kids as they were trying to, you know, qualify for the McClay, and then they competed. And it really showed everything. It, you know, it showed the stress, the heartbreak. Some kids didn't qualify. And then, you know, also the triumphs, the victories, and everything came together. And it was really cool because a lot more people who would normally just be casual fans who wouldn't be watching the McClay, they tuned into the McClay that year because they were rooting for the characters they saw. You know, they liked this rider and his horse and that rider and her horse. Because it was they connected with these people through their struggles and stuff. So I thought that was an excellent way to get more attention to the standard bred breed, the common struggles that they might face in retraining, and then also bring more attention to the show, and then give some local trainers who are trying to help the standard breed out by um, training and competing their own horses a little uh, publicity. So it really worked out very well because we had, you know, we had a whole diverse group. I tried to get people from, you know, different backgrounds, you know, different races, different economic statuses, you know, some people who were going for the first year, people who were coming from out of state, people who had been doing it for a few years. So you really got a whole mixed bag. So there was probably going to be somebody you could relate to. And people really enjoyed it because you got to know these people and their horses and their stories. And there were, you know, struggles, but there also were a lot of victories. And people really connected with this. So when they actually, we were showing at the Nationals, I actually had people coming up to me, people coming up to other people who had been one of the teams in it. Because the the, um, Sandwich Pleasure Horse people were wonderful. They got us all banners for our stalls. It was very easy to pick out, like, what teams were where. And there was people coming, and they came to the show just to see us, which was awesome. I think last year, I'd say, was definitely the most, like, non-riding spectators I'd seen there, like, people who came purely just to watch the show. And there was a lot of new pairs, and some of them, you know, were the national teams, and other of them, like I mentioned earlier, were people who had competed in the virtual shows and stand every training group. So I decided to bring it back this year and try to make it even more diverse. You know, I want to have more disciplines. I have driving for the first time because, you know, last year I feel like we had a lot of like hunter jumper people. So we have more Western barrel racing, all that stuff. And I think it's really going to, you know, get people even more interested in the national show because that's how you draw people in. That's how, you know, the pleasure side and the racing side has to get more people attracted to this is the horses. People see the horses or they see, you know, some of the trainers, they see these characters and they relate to them. They like them. That's how you get them interested. I love that, Brielle. That's such a good point of like being able to tell the stories of the horses and kind of give spectators a connection to it. They get to learn the horse, they get to learn the trainer, and then they can see them throughout their journey all the way up to nationals. I just think it's a brilliant idea that you put together and we thank you for that because it's an important thing to have. I know we're running out of time and I feel like we could talk to you for hours about standard breads and we'll have to have you come back on the show at some point to dive deeper into some training. Where can people check out the video series and also if they want to learn more about standard bread retraining? The uh, YouTube channel is called Trot Trot Channel. 
and that will have the Road to the National Series. The series from last year is also up there as well, if they want to watch that. And then we also try to upload, when I have time, educational videos on, like, retraining standard breads because some people are visual learners. They need to see a video versus just a wall of text. So they can check it out on there. I also share the links to these videos in the Standard Reds Training Group on Facebook. That's another great group to join if you want to see stuff like that and just also connect with other Standard Red lovers. And then there's the page for my retraining and adoption program, which is Trot Trot Standard Reds. Or people can also add me on Facebook on my personal page, Brielle Roman. I post uh, all about the horses and my shenanigans with the Standard Reds. So it's always a good time. Well, thanks so much, Brielle. This has been really, really cool to get a little standard bread insight and uh, yeah, hopefully send more people to the group and get people started on that standard bread journey. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I'm always happy to talk about them. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Brielle, and can't wait to talk again soon. The snow is melting and the weather is changing, which means it's time for spring cleaning. Cashel Company has everything you need to get your barn, tack room, and trailer clean and organized before show season begins. From stall organizers to gear bags, hooks, and brushes, and everything in between, Cashel Company's got your back for your pre-show season organizing needs. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashel Company on Facebook and Instagram. And to find their products, visit an authorized dealer or visit cashelcompany.com. Kristen, I am super, super excited to introduce this next guest because it's part of a a new series we're doing. Well, kind of new. In the past, we have done Spotlight Riders where we would interview a different competitor who's coming into the makeover of that year each episode. But now we're doing it a little bit different. We're kind of putting a twist on the Spotlight Rider series and calling a new series, Making the Makeover. We're going to follow about three to four contestants throughout their journey all the way up to October. So you really get a chance to learn them, learn their horses, learn their challenges, their wins, and everything they're doing in between to get their horses mentally, physically, and probably emotionally prepped to go to the makeover. So Kristen, who are we speaking to today? Who's our first rider? So today we're going to meet Rachel Ramsey. She is a non-pro that rides and trains her own horses out of North Texas. As a wife and mother of two boys, she funds her horse buying addiction problem by taking on project horses, re-educating them, and finding them their next partner. Having grown up riding and showing cutting horses, she's dabbled in eventing and continues to educate herself with clinics and lessons with the end goal of creating an all-around horse that can go compete in ranch riding classes one weekend then go on to hack around a hunter-jumper class the next, or even take the kids to a barrel race. Rachel had one of my favorite horses at the Mega Makeover last year. She actually won the 2020 Ranch Work Division with Aussie Prayer, who was a bad cat. <laughs> the sorting. I mean, that little mare was getting down and putting her ears back, and she was just having a ball. And the two of you looked like you were having the best time. It really was a lot of fun. She really enjoys working cows, and it was fun to go out on a bang. Nice. So, and clearly you liked it so much that you're back again for 2022. Tell us about your 2022 horse. The first experience with RP was awesome and it kind of gave me a reason to go buy another horse. So who doesn't need a reason for that? So I had such a great experience going through new vocations. I just called them up and went through the Louisiana branch and she had about four or five horses out there that kind of she thought might fit. So I was able to go spend the day with her and just watch her lunge the horses around and kind of get my pick. And so I ended up with a three-year-old, I guess he's four now because after the first year, um, gray gelding. And he's your typical gelding. He's just kind of a pill. He's an undecided 
Kruber, he, he can't commit to much of anything. He can't really decide what he wants to do in life, but we're having a lot of fun together. What drew you to him? Um, probably his shenanigans. Uh, he just was really playful. He got out and got moving around. Um, and they all come with a little bit of baggage, but he just, he wanted to play and it just, he looked like something fun. Nice. So was Aussie Prayer your first thoroughbred that you had retrained? She was not. She was my first one probably that had that many miles at the track. I've had one or two that came off after a race or two and just didn't make it out of the racehorse. But she was a war horse that had $215,000 one. And so she was my first one that we really just had to figure out how to reprogram her, um, her brain for a, another career. Nice. Well, so you're a makeover veteran. Tell us a little bit about your first experience and what you're looking forward to in this new experience with Stonecatcher. You know, the show itself was was a really cool experience. I did not know what to expect. I've I've shown a lot of horses and been to some big cutting events and even, like I said, dabbled in eventing and been to some big events at Texas Rose Park. And that atmosphere RP was just it was unbelievable. It really felt like a team, like everybody was there really just to support the horse and the experience of the horse, not necessarily my horse is showing better than your horse type um, mm-hmm. atmosphere that you can get at a lot of shows. And so I, I just, I appreciated that. I mean, you had your dressage riders hanging out with your barrel racers hanging out. It, it just, I, I loved it. It was an amazing experience and the volunteers and the people I mean, I, I'm drawn to any horse experience ever for any reason, mm-hmm. but the people and the trainers and just all of that really made me want to go back and do it again. I love that. And like, that's what we constantly hear. It's like the community aspect. I mean, it really is just horse people who love horses and coming together for a big party at the end of the day. Like, sure, there's prizes. Sure, we're competing. We want our horses to do a good job. But at the end of the day, we're just here for the camaraderie. Like, it's great. I would love to know, like, what lessons did you learn from last year? Like, surprises as you were prepping your horse and maybe some changes you're going to be doing for Stonecatcher or things that worked really well? You know, these two horses are so different. I guess that's that's what you get when you, you know, get a thoroughbred. So Aussie was a very opinionated mare. She was a very hot mare. She spent a lot of time at the track and she worked for seven or eight minutes and she was done. And that was it. That was like, that was my race. Leave me alone. And so with her, it was really kind of trying to approach it a way that it was her idea because you were not going to convince her to do something you weren't going to make her do something. So it really had to come out of, of a, with a, a lot of positive reinforcement. She's not very brave. So a lot of the trail stuff was really hard for her. So we just did a lot of positive reinforcement, really slow building, a lot of work with other horses that are were strong in that so that she had something to mimic. But with her, it was very much, let me convince you that this is your idea. And then we got along just fine, but there was no me saying, hey, we're going to do this because I want to do it. <laughs> she just, she was very opinionated. And Stonecatcher is very much the opposite. So his, I, I actually started calling him Stoner because he <laughs> really is just like a laid back, like beach, hang out at the beach. Oh, we're going to do something kind of dude. And so he's almost lazy and he's a little bit on the kick ride. And so I'm having to come at it a little bit different. He's a lot more laid back. He's very playful though. And so I have to let him express himself. And probably that's what I'm doing a little bit different with him too. Um, like loping right now. He's not super strong in the lope, but I just, I don't get his face. I just let him go and let him find his balance. I don't adjust him. He's, he's baby. He doesn't know how to carry himself. And so as long as he's generally going the general direction that I want him to, 
I just let him kind of figure it out. And we do a lot of simple changes and figure eights. And that's kind of where I'm at with him. Love it. Building consistency and letting him figure it out without me nagging at him because he would just shut down because too much work. (laughs) First of all, it's nice for me to always talk to other Western riders. But of course, you know, the Western thoroughbred community is kind of growing, I think, because Uh they're not, you know, the historical choice for the Western rider, even though, you know, we can look back in history and see that the thoroughbred was pretty influential on the quarter horse, which is generally the first choice for the Western rider. So, you know, what does it mean to you to take these thoroughbreds and get them into the ranch type stuff and the Western, Western tack and Western way of going? You know, it's kind of fun. Aussie, her build is so stocky. She gets called a quarter horse a lot, which is kind of fun to be able to know she's a thoroughbred, you know, because she just doesn't have the build of your typical thoroughbred. And so it's kind of fun to be able to go out and say, no, she's at the track and, you know, she's able to come in and be competitive with a second career after coming off the track. And Stone Catcher's a lot more lanky and has your typical thoroughbred look to them. And it it is kind of funny. You do get a lot of eyebrows raised because I go to a sporting practice every weekend and I'm in there on a tall, lanky horse and they're like, what are you riding? But it's fun because then he goes in and chases cows around and he actually is interested in the job. And so it's fun to be able to make a statement like we can do it too. Yeah, well, and, you know, in Texas, that's like serious cowboy and quarter horse country. So, I mean, you're like really <laughs> you're up against much a lot so. down there. Yeah. 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 It is very much so. And a lot of these, I most of them, I just try to find a lot of schooling ranching shows and I, I haul a lot. It's really about exposing them to as much as possible. And I don't have an arena. Well, I take that back. We won a little bit of money at the RRP last year. So I invested in, hauled in some sand and we put some lights up. So now I have myself a little riding spot in the backyard, but I still haul a lot because it's just good for them mentally. And when they're babies, I try to haul them with a horse that's been around. And so they tend to mimic the horses that they're with. Even just turning them out in the pond, Aussie goes straight into water at Walking Pond. And so stone catchers following her like, what are you doing? I mean, they just, and then now that's his favorite place to be is go stand in the middle of the pond and come out muddy. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Do you get a lot of like comments? Like are other people like, oh, what are you doing with that thoroughbred? Or are people generally pretty like open-minded about it? Um, you know, I don't get a whole lot. I get a lot of looks. <laughs> they, don't, they don't necessarily comment, especially with, like I said, Aussie. And I, I haul them a bunch. I know that they're going to be nutty. They're babies and they're figuring it out. And as long as I'm not running anybody over and making, I'm making an unsafe situation, it's just part of letting them figure it out. So I have to haul her a lot and let her really spend a lot of time and settle in. And so, yeah, we're zooming around the arena till she settles in. So I get a lot of people watching and my technique may not be (laughs) the same as everybody else, but I feel like when you let the horse kind of figure it out themselves versus making them fit into a box, that it, it sets a lot longer and it's a little bit easier for them mentally. Yeah. I love that mentality. Yeah. Just let them figure it out, find their balance, do their thing. So what is the first kind of big milestone you have for Stonecatcher that we can look forward to next time we connect with you? So we've been hauling, I think I've taken about four or five times to the sorting practice. So we get to go like on Tuesday. It's about 35 minutes from the house. So it's kind of nice that it's close. And so yesterday, it was kind of fun because it was the first time like working a cow where like he pinned his ears and was like chasing the cow down. Like, hey, this is kind of fun. You know, I actually got him to move out versus... A lot of times when you introduce horses to cows, they're very standoffish and, you know, what is this animal type thing? So it was really fun to just see that kind of light bulb moment last night go through that. 
And so probably when we get together, I'm going to take him to his first ranch riding green horse show in two weeks. So it'll be oh, like the fun. 28th. So that'll be his baby, first kind of baby show to kind of put him through the paces. And so it's kind of fun because they have pleasure classes and then the reigning class and then the, the flag working class. And so he just gets to go out and, and I just try to pile miles on him. And I love riding with clinics because you get exposure. You're sitting on the horse for six, eight hours. You know, your horse is seeing everything. It's like getting 10 rides in one day because right. the time that you get on them, the exposure they get. And then my goal at every clinic, because I go to a lot, I kind of hear the same thing over and over, but I is just to pick up one or two nuggets. So, you know, that's my goal out of the whole weekend. What is it that I can put my toolbox and have and fall back on that? And I've, I've, it's fun because then I can go back and say, this is what I learned in that clinic. And it was an amazing piece of information. I love that. And that's such great advice for anyone listening. Because I think we're all starting to get itchy now that the weather is getting nicer and our horses are starting to shut out. We're like, okay, now it's go time. Like get in the clinics, get ready for show season, no matter what you're preparing for. You know, you don't have to take it all in. It's, right. it's hard to retain it all. But if you can get one or two, I love it how you said it, nuggets. Just one or two yeah. nuggets to put in your pocket, work on that, sign up for the next clinic. I mean, that would make anyone show season or just how you play with your horse if you're not showing. Just make anything successful for you. Yeah, exactly. And I love watching videos. So I spend a lot of time, you know, I'll find a trainer or even a rider or non-pro or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, I just kind of Facebook stalk them or watch some videos and be like, <laughs> oh, I really like how they did that. Let me kind of diagnose that. So, you know, there's a trainer on TikTok who's out in California and I like how he turns his horses around, you know, so I kind of stalk him and watch him and watch how he does his horse's feet and then go play with my horse. Can I get my horse to do that? So there's always ways to learn and kind of take what you like, go watch riders, mm-hmm. see what you like and, and take it and apply it to your horse. And I truly think that the horses, you know, there's never an ending you can always learn more. People, I can always learn more and my horses always can learn more. Yeah, that's funny. I just thought of that today. <laughs> yeah. I just was thinking that, like, I don't believe in that phrase, this horse is finished. I don't right. think that's a thing. Yeah. And I'm a really big proponent of a jack of all trade horses uh, because I tend to be like that. And I like to my Aussie mare, she's just at a really fun spot, a space where I can pull her out and say, Hey, we're going to go to ranch riding. Just kidding. I want to go to a barrel race this week. Oh, dad wants to go hiking up in the mountains for the weekend, you know, and they get to a spot where you can just go do anything that you want to go do. And those are the good horses to me, but yeah. they're not necessarily specialized. Oh, I can't take my hunter jumper out because he's afraid of cows or whatever. I, I absolutely my... love it, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> It just it, it just makes it fun. It's such a like it's such an amateur friendly. When you think of the average rider, I'm like, sure, most of us love to compete to some level. I think most of us right. are doing more schooling shows than anything. There's obviously a few amateurs who go to the the higher levels, the A rated shows and things like that. But most of us are just looking to have fun with our horses. Right. And I think you're really showcasing that well. And that even if they might be uh, pretty skilled in one direction or the other. There's still talent to be held in just about anything you want them to do. Right. Right. It's a, so. Yeah, I agree. It is very fun. And okay. it, I do struggle a little bit with going. I, I really like a nice finished horse. I, I like a horse that's sensitive and that's why I got along with Aussie really well. If I put a leg on her, we were going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Though I do have a problem a little bit with really finishing a horse to a point where I maybe can't throw my kids up there, <laughs> you know, get them so finished that there's so many buttons that they might not. So it's kind of funny because people ask what I'm doing with Aussie right now. I'm like, well, I'm trying to dumb her down, to be honest. I'm 
desensitizing her to her sensitivity a little bit. And I am throwing my kids up there and just kind of trying to make her into more of an all around versus something that I can get on. And Good for you. And I love hearing that you have your last year horse that you took to the makeover. She's still in her second career. You know, I wish we had followed more horses after the makeovers when we've done the show in the past. So it's going to be really interesting to see like hearing how Aussie's doing. If you're okay, I know we're supposed to be focusing on Stonecatcher, but I'd love to focus on, you know, a horse who's gone through it and what they're doing in their second year at off the track in their second career. And then a horse who's getting his first year and kind of getting his green legs going. It's going to be really cool to follow your journey. Where can people find you online if they want to keep track of what you're doing with Stonecatcher and Aussie? I'm on Facebook on 4R Horses North Texas. Okay. And that's the number four. The number four, the letter R, and then Horses North Texas. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. We are so looking forward to catching up with you again and hearing how your first Western Ranch... I'm an English girl. I'm so sorry. I know the terms. <laughs> I'm okay. embarrassing myself. My dad's going to be ashamed of me. He's a Western guy. <laughs> ranch riding. Ranch riding. We're still looking yeah. forward to hearing how that goes with Stonecatcher on the next time we catch up with you. Thank you for having me on. I sure appreciate this. This is fun to be able to share his story. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. so much, Rachel. What if adding just one product to your feed regimen could help your horse recover faster after a show, get relief from inflammation, reduce his nerves, and ease his digestion? If any of those benefits sound appealing to you, then check out American Harvest Premium Hemp Extracts and Equine Hemp Pellets. American Harvest Natural Equine Hemp Pellets are vet-formulated and produced from natural hemp. The palatable pellet formula is manufactured with potent raw CBD using no chemical processing, so your horse will love the taste as much as you'll love the benefits. Look for the full line of American Harvest products at your local equine shop, any Hubbard dealer, or online at store.altech.com. And right now, American Harvest is offering an exclusive giveaway for you, our loyal Horse Radio Network listeners. One lucky winner will receive a free 90-day supply of American Harvest equine products. Check out today's show notes for details on how to enter. Well, it's everyone's favorite part of the episode. We have Leandra Cooper from New Vocations joining us today, and she's going to bring us another fab training tip. And Kristen, I think it's only appropriate being your second episode that you have the honor to ask a question to Leandra. Yeah, the problem is just choosing one, right? I like, know, she's such you know, a genius. Can we just have Leandra on and <laughs> talk for hours? Please help me. <laughs> so my big question, since the snow is finally melting up here in New York and it's getting to be good long days for riding, I've got to start legging my guys back up. And I have a particularly spicy redhead who's a little bit of a challenge. And the fun part for me is because I'm on a working cattle farm, I don't have any arena or a round pen or really anywhere that's a good safe place to kind of let out some sillies before we go for a ride. Uh-huh. And from what I've been reading, there's some other folks around that are starting thoroughbreds with no arena either. So what's your advice for those of us who don't have a good place to kind of, you know, hang on and let all the bucks out first? I've only got 20 yeah. pastures. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The thing about arenas is that obviously it's not going to be a save all solution. Like even with an arena, like we have to be really cautious about letting horses run around in there because some of them just get too out of hand with that. So without like the round pen or the arena, 
even when you're riding, like the arena is not going to do much except for like contain the horse if you're on the ground. Right. So, but as far as like, if you don't have those safety precautions side of things, or just like the ability to let a horse just get their fillies out before you start getting on them, obviously you have to think about what's best for the horse's mental status and for your own safety. So one of the things that I like to do, if you can, of course, is lunging and Jamie is a big advocate for long lining too, if that's something you're comfortable with. But again, I think that really depends on the independent horse because lunging without perimeters can be difficult too. I mean, even in an arena, if you have a horse who's not really experienced with that, you can end up getting your shoulder yanked out. And that's where a round pen would come in handy if you had it. But a lot of people, you know, might not have that. So they're trying to lunge in an open space and it can be difficult. So I would say kind of know your own horse. If it's a new horse, then try to be as precautious as possible, making sure you have gloves on, making sure you start at a smaller circle and things can't get out of hand as much. I know it's probably controversial for some people. So again, it's a comfort level thing, but if it was really a safety question, you could always ask your vet to give you a little bit of a a sedative uh, for your horse just to get past that phase. Cause again, it really like your own safety is going to be the, the, number one thing that you need to think about because we all have different thresholds for like if we can sit a buck or what you're going to be able to handle in that respect. But also like I think about when we have horses on rehab rides where it's not a matter of like if I can handle it, but it's like what's physically best for the horse. So keeping in mind your own mental and physical restrictions, same thing for the horse too. So all of that aside, like say you're, you're even past the groundwork side of things and just like how you can get horses back into shape. I'm a huge advocate of hills. If you can get horses working on different terrain, especially when you can engage the hind end and the front end in much different ways than they would being on a flat surface, like hills are a really, really great tool. If you combine that with like hills on a trail or those two things separately, that those are both really great ways to just ease back into it. Because while having an arena is really nice, I think that a lot of people tend to rush back into conditioning where if you, even if you think about how it would be like from a person perspective, I think about like if you have a lot of time off and you're going back to the gym. I mean, say that you had surgery and you're going back to the gym or you've just had the winter off for yourself and going back to the gym. Like you wouldn't, hopefully, maybe some people do, but to, for your <laughs> optimal health, I should say, you wouldn't just jump right back into it because then you risk injury. Your muscles need to get conditioned back slowly. Whereas we might be able to know our own limits and say, oh, this is starting to feel a little bit tough. You know, with that lack of verbal communication between horse and rider, I think some people, many people I've seen push horses to get back into work that they're not ready for. And that's a prime way to both mentally fry them and put them at risk for physical injury. So I would say doing all those sort of like doing just the basic things and adding a little bit at a time is not only going to let you kind of tune back into your horse's mental needs if they're feeling really goofy. If they're 
feeling really goofy and you're trotting them up a hill, I feel like, if, especially if they're not in shape, like that's going to get them tired pretty fast. So that's a really great tool. Use, it, use the environment around you, basically, is what I'm trying to say, which I feel like this is all preaching to acquire with you. So mm-hmm. I would honestly love to hear what you do as well. We have the benefit here of having an arena, so I definitely am spoiled in that way. But a lot of people are facing those same concerns and trying to get horses back into condition. So, so I'm all ears. I'd love to hear what you do. <laughs> well, Leander, I was going to jump in. So I grew up without an arena. I, I didn't grow up on a, a farm where I had lots of hills. It was very flat. It was a hay farming field. And what I found was really helpful. If you have someone that you trust, and this is a great horse husband, horse partner (laughs) job as well, having someone hold the lunge line as you start to reintroduce the saddle work. So you Mm -hmm. can kind of help guide your horse, but there's kind of that emergency line. (laughs) And it also works really well if you're getting kind of a more skittish horse used to trail rides too, having someone on the ground leading them and you're just helping them feel calm when they're, you're not next to them to guide them through it. So as you're progressing from lunging to the saddle, having that buddy as an in-between, you know, there's no shame in it. Sometimes it's, it's a great thing to have for the hotter, less confident horses. Oh, totally. And that's another thing. I think that people let their pride or their ego get in the way where horses are social creatures, they're herd animals. And like having somebody who can kind of act like they're ponying your horse or ride with you or have a person on the ground is a a massive comfort to, to them a lot of times. And even if we have a horse who like, if I get on and he immediately humps up his back, then I might have my assistant trainer just walk him around and just give him that sort of mental buffer. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the second that she steps away from them, we might have just been walking around with me on his back and her leading him. And then the moment she steps away, he gets nervous again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what does that tell us? It's not so much just me being physically there as much as like the mental part of his experience of that and having the comfort of kind of having his hand held in a way and, easing back into that and reprogramming the brain, if I like to say. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such a useful tool to have and, you know, buddies are great. And also if you're lucky enough where they can see horses in the field, you're working with too, sometimes can be helpful. Sometimes not helpful when the horses like to run around in early spring, but sometimes if you're, you can be close to a paddock to have typically quiet horses in it. Um, another Mm -hmm. nice option to kind of give them that comfort blanket that they're not being taken far away. So that's how I start in the spring too. I start close Mm -hmm. to the barn where the horses are living for the winter and gradually make my orbit a little bit bigger every time, Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger and keep those feet moving. And now that, you know, especially the spicy redhead in question um, (laughs) understands his lateral work a little bit better. And the lateral work is really key towards keeping his brain engaged as well as his feet, because Mm -hmm. his feet can move with his brain check out if he's just sort of, you know, faffing along in a straight line. But if he's actually having to drive underneath himself and, and do something different than just larking around, then, then he gets his focus back. And eventually, once the horses are turned out all the way out into the pastures for the summer, then we're kind of home free. So it's that April-May transition time where, you know, we spend a lot of time in the air. But we'll get there. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Well, let's dig into this handsome chunk of a horse we have for our adoptable horse of the week. 
I already showed him to my boyfriend and asked if we have the funds to get him. <laughs> I was politely declined as a no for now. But for now, I, there's hope. For now is the key. We'll see what the answer is tomorrow when I beg again. Why yeah. don't you go ahead and introduce, is it Veronesi? That's in my um, very non-politically correct way, the way that I say it. So it might not be, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have also solved the issue of pronouncing his name by just calling him Vern. Um, So Veronese, who's a French bread, her bread, is called Werner on the barn. And he is now six years old. It's still hard for me to look at their birth year and do the math for 2022. I'm constantly thinking like, oh, 2016, he's five years old. But this year, in fact, he has turned six years old. So he's six years old, which makes him a little older than most of the horses in our program who tend to be three or four years old because they're coming right from the track or right from a layup facility. They don't have any intermediate career in our program. It's one of our requirements because we're just kind of catering to these, this specific crew. He stands just over 16 hands. And like you said before, he's a bit of a chunk. We really didn't have much of a struggle getting him to physically adapt from the racehorse streamlined build to the more pleasure horse build. He is quickly adapted to that. And while he is a little bit more limited, I would say, just because he had previously bowed both his front tendons. I've also known people who, like I knew one person in particular who just put a lot into conditioning her horses and she was jumping a horse and show jumpers Grand Prix level who had bowed both front tendons. So we're always on the conservative side of things, but you just never know. Like we have the ultrasounds for anybody who would be interested and wasn't approved a doctor. So you can always keep track of how the fiber reorganizes, but it's so much of it really depends on the specific horse. But overall, you know, even if he were limited, he would be a really, really phenomenal horse for someone who wanted a more pleasure type horse because he really enjoys being doted on. He's very easy keeper, pretty much as easy as it gets is really quiet in the cross ties. It's just exceptional in most every way. So if you were planning on taking a horse like him and just seeing how you could do with him starting low and maybe even down the line, he could move up if you wanted to do a little more jumping. It's hard to say, but with this type of horse, the personality is so key because you don't want to have a horse who's a little bit of hotter head and doesn't mind themselves well, but he really does. So you have both a quiet citizen in the barn who is just really easy to handle, really nice to love on, has just a kind personality, and then a horse who has had a little bit of damage as far as that soft tissue goes, I hate to like, Mm -hmm. obviously he's not damaged. You know, he is a very valuable special horse as they all are, Mm -hmm. but just a horse who, who could really excel with the right type of person with the right sort of mindset. So all that to say, I'm really excited to see how he does with whoever ends up adopting him. I think he's a really special type horse and just, he's kind. So he's such a relatively low risk as far as you can be with horses. They're all risky, of course, but like you're going to have a good buddy no matter what. And I just think that's so valuable because it's certainly not the case for all of them, but Vern is a really cool horse. 
He's definitely a beautiful mover to watch. I mean, I love how he's built. He's got that slight uphill movement to help him in the dressage world that he'd also, he's classy enough to be a nice hunt prospect. I think he could go a lot of directions and he's just got such soft movement to watch, which is so lovely. So make sure to check out Vern. He's just for the extremely unreasonable, high out of this world cost of $1,000. I mean, he's free guys. He's basically free. <laughs> You're losing money. If you don't take that horse, honestly, I mean, he's so cute. He's priceless. He's priceless. Anyway, so check- I have to give him like total props for this too, because I, I was like struggling in the pictures to find some where his eyes are even like that open because it was a really sunny day and we were like, fun, let's take pictures. And he's like, guys, I'm blind. Like I can't see a thing. So he looks like he's half asleep and half of them because he's like, it's really bright. But he was so good for them. (laughs) Oh, he he just looks like a kind, like old soul. He's got that vibe of being a kind, gentle, old soul. He's very calling Vern. Vern is the perfect old guy name. I know. He's like the resident grandpa as a six year old and I love it. Exactly. <laughs> well, check out Fern and all the other horses on horseadoption.com. Remember, they go like hotcakes, guys. Get your applications in. If you're looking to adopt a horse from New Vocations, they always do a phenomenal job. And of course, we always thank Leandra so much for sharing your wisdom, kindness, and like your humor. Like you're just the best. You're the best, Leandra. I can't even, there's not enough words to describe how great you are. Oh, stop. Stop. Well, thank you for having me as always. Yeah, so until next time, thanks again, and we'll see you soon. All right. Bye, guys. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. I can be found on Instagram at The Horseback Rider, and you can follow all of my Racehorse Ranch adventures on Facebook at Jobber Bill Racehorse to Ranch Horse. You can also shoot me an email at kbentley at therrp.org. You can find me on Instagram at The Foodie Equestrian, and my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Company, and American Harvest. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And always add more leg. Always. Bye, guys. Bye.